feel like Lizzie missed out on the party. <laughs> did, you, did you hear any of that it? That was the longest intro of my life. I know. It, there's an uncomfortableness when we have guests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, we have a guest. Um, Harrison is joining us today. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. What's your, what's your last name, Harrison? Kemp. Kemp. Okay. K-E-M-P. I was going to say Ford. Um, <laughs> I didn't know anywhere else to go with that. Sure. So um, we brought Harrison on because... Uh, He's a, well, Mitch, you go ahead and tell him. Yeah, I, I wanted to get Harrison on because um, Harrison trains with us at Westside. He's one of our blue belts. And I've always thought that Harrison has a pretty cool story. He comes from a, an interesting, I've had a lot of interesting conversations with Harrison over the years. Um, and so kind of just, he's had a pretty interesting journey um, since I've known him and knowing a little bit about his background. Of course, I don't know everything about your background. Um just what you've shared with me. Sure. Um, but ultimately, um, I thought it was a really interesting correlation between some of your past activities and kind of the way it brought you to jujitsu and then how you've, you've really dived, dove into jujitsu and some of the conversations we've had about how not necessarily that jujitsu saved your life. Right. I think, I think that's kind of one of those cliche things to say, but I think that you would agree that it's become a large portion of what allows you to maintain some form of sanity. Sure. Right. But um, if you want, kind of give a little background about yourself, um, you know, uh, your profession, uh, some of the things that you did sport related wise or whatever prior to jujitsu and then how you kind of found Westside and how you found yeah. jujitsu and why you even considered giving it a shot. I didn't, uh, I, I certainly would not trot out the sort of tired phraseology of, uh, of uh, jujitsu having saved my life. That's, that's not what happened. I, I happened upon it because uh, I'm an attorney in Little Rock and uh, Rolly is a client of ours. And he just happened to come into the office one afternoon. It was a Friday afternoon. He was there to do something. Um, and he, I don't actually represent him. My, my sure. partner does. And so I knew who he was, but I didn't know uh, what he was there for. And I was the only one in the office and I'm in the, co- in the copy room. Uh, and Rolly happens up uh, beside me but because of the noise of the copy machine. I didn't know that he was there. And when I when I caught him, uh, he was close to me and I I hauled back like I was going to pop him. <laughs> right. And uh, I, uh, my my observation of him uh, about to have somebody hit him was that he didn't seem bothered by the fact that somebody was about to hit him or, or perhaps more likely he didn't think it likely that I would. Right. Uh, but in any case, uh, uh, he, he observed as how uh, um, I clearly had a good instinct for uh, cocking my, my fist back, and but he corrected my posture and said I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't have hit anybody with any force the way I was swinging at him. Uh, so, and I had just a few days or weeks, I can't remember, this was years ago now, but I can't remember uh, how long prior to that I had just gotten done listening to a podcast by um, Sam Harris, uh, mm-hmm. who was also a blue belt in jiu-jitsu. 
Um, I don't know who he trains under, and I don't know if he really does it anymore, but at the time he was describing it and he was describing um, the process of uh, uh, drowning. It was just a, mm -hmm. a continual process of drowning and learning how to be calm under those circumstances and uh, learning how to, how to breathe, essentially, uh, uh, when you're when you're dying like that. But anyway, I, I remember thinking, because Sam Harris is a, is a uh, person whose insight I, I uh, uh, identify with. And so I remember thinking, well, that's interesting that he's describing it thusly. And um, I'd like to be involved in it. But of course, I didn't even know that jujitsu was a thing. I didn't know where it was or what it was. I just didn't know anything about it. And so here Rolly does, he, he just comes into the office one day and, and says, well, you just need to come train with us. And having just had this prompting that uh, this was a cool thing. I decided to go give it a try. That was uh, on May the 31st of, of uh, 18. And um, uh, I've done it every day since then. So let me ask you this. <clears throat> Sam Harrison, Sam Harris uh, is an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. Do you find it strange that Roly came into your life after having heard that from Sam Harris? You mean, do I find it synchronistic? Yes. I, I do indeed find it synchronistic, but I, I don't ascribe any uh, metaphysical anything to that. That's fair. Uh, so, <laughs> as I think Sam would, you know. Yeah, um, for sure. But, uh, or, or Roly for that matter. Um, but no, it's, uh, uh, I find that in my experience so far has been that I am um, at the same time very unlucky and very lucky. Mm -hmm. And so fortuity plays a big role in my life. And, um, uh, if I'm to have any success in this world, it's going to be because of good fortune, not because uh, of bootstrapping it. But sure, that was a, that's a great example, though. Of uh, I mean, as far as meaning in my life right now, continuity and stability, jujitsu provides uh, the fundamental foundation for most of those things uh, right now. And so, what would my life be like right now if I weren't participating in that and never had? I, I, I mean, it's not like I was in the, the shit can, you know, uh, immediately prior to that. It, that. That certainly wasn't true. Um, what it has uh, uh, taken away or what it replaced um, uh, was an activity that I did that was very solo. I was a distance runner. Mm -hmm. And so, and you just do that by yourself, or at least I do. So how did you get involved in distance running? Because I know that, I knew that you were an ultra runner of some type. Yeah. Um, how did you, when did you come involved with that and what drew you to that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I had always run even before my life is kind of broken up into two phases, pre-sobriety and, and post-sobriety. And so even before sobriety, I was always a, a runner. Um, I had never done anything longer than a marathon pre-sobriety, but um, I ran pretty consistently then. Um, I didn't do it with the same intensity or purpose as I, I did after the fact. I didn't do anything with the same intensity mm -hmm. or purpose before I got sober. But um, um, I, I started running, I think, because that was the only thing that I ever did. I didn't have any background in sports. I didn't do anything competitive uh, when I was a kid. My parents tried to sign me up uh, for shit, but I was the third kid. Um, when I gave them any pushback or resistance at all, they're just like, fuck it up. We're not going to fight you on it. So sounds like somebody else I know. Mm -hmm. yep. It's not, uh, and I regret that. And now that I've got my own children, I'm kind of struggling with how, how to, how much to push and how much to let them, uh, resist, um, how early to start them. But, uh, in any case, I didn't have any experience doing any of that stuff. And so, uh, but I was always, um, uh, I'm pretty fit. I mean, I've always been pretty fit and, uh, I've always had really good cardiovascular endurance. And so, um, that was just kind of a natural fit for me to be able to step into a running role. And 
So I started doing that uh, around, well, probably when I started college, maybe a little bit before college, um, started doing uh, distance races uh, in college and in law school. Uh, and I did that, you know, uh, all the way through until today. I mean, I still do it. Um, but other than that, I didn't do anything else. Mm-hmm. And, and so my exercise activity and my my sort of debriefing or, or uh, venting uh, activity was solo. I'd do it early in the morning or late at night and always by myself. And I'd, you know, sometimes wear uh, distractions, sometimes not wear distraction, but um, uh, it was all by myself. And so... I've never had a team, never participated in any team sport, and jujitsu is inherently a uh, an individual activity. I mean, it's you and some other motherfucker out there. Uh, uh, you're going to rise or fall on your own effort, right? Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't participate in it at all if I didn't have this great team mm-hmm. that I participate with and uh, the other uh, uh, teammates for which I uh, their successes are meaningful to me and, and my successes are meaningful to them. When I went to Worlds uh, last year. The, uh, it was deeply moving to me the number of people that knew that I was there, uh, were paying attention to my matches, mm-hmm. were communicating with me during that, you know, and and had been with me through the cut up to that, and had uh, 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 and and sort of bolstered me after. I mean, I had I had a great run at it, but I didn't even medal. So what um, what was what? I can't even remember what your what your. Because you won a couple of matches, right? I won four. Four. I won. I know. Excuse me. I had four. I won three. Had I beaten the fourth guy, I would have. I would have bronze. Okay. So you um, were okay. And so, um, yeah. And I was just getting all this feedback. Roly was there coaching me, and I don't know that Roly was even going to go last year. It was just Roly and I. Mm-hmm. And Felicia went, uh, but I think she was going independently. Also. Um, uh, Oh, shit, I can't remember the other guy's name. Somebody else went, Purple Belt, mm-hmm. um, but also independent. And so it was just rolling me going. Um, and I really felt like he was, uh, I, I, I was like, I want to go. And and uh, he was a little bit on the fence. And he said, fuck it, I'll come and compete. So uh, and that was meaningful to me, too, mm-hmm. you know, because he didn't have to come. Uh, I, I didn't have to have a coach there. And he came. Uh, he was doing Facebook Live on all of it, and uh, everybody was giving me feedback as we go. So anyway, I haven't ever. The point here is I haven't ever participated in anything like that where I've got a team um, where it's still individualized, uh, and so I don't necessarily have to rely on anybody, and nobody else has to rely on me. Probably more the the latter that would bother me is that somebody might have to rely on me. So um, uh, it's still individualized in that way, but I've got a team behind me. Um, and uh, so uh, prior to jujitsu, I hadn't had any experience with anything like that. And that's really what it's added to my repertoire, so to speak, is mm-hmm. an experience working with other people, having relationships with other people. I, again, it's not just in, in training, like distance running. Like I, I'm a loner, you know, I just I, I spend time by myself. That's what my MO is. And uh, still do that to this day. Practicing law is a great business for me because nobody fucks with me. Right. I get to sit in my office and put my headphones on and zone out. And, um, uh, it's just, you know, uh, that's just my, uh, my nature. So, um, it's really gotten me out of my box in that way and being, um, willing, for instance, to come do shit like this. So, yeah. Yeah. What's the, go ahead. Do you find that like the habits of, uh, of being a loner has also like dug yourself in a hole sometimes, um, where you're kind of by yourself, um, with your thoughts only all the time. And you start talking yourself into a negative direction if you're not careful. Um, if you're not going out and getting like 
um, you know, talking with your friends and hanging out and getting those social uh, benefits. Um, Cause I'm, I'm a little bit the same way. Like if I have a choice, I'm going to go home and be at home almost every single time. Yeah. Um, and then I started realizing that like I benefit from that social habit um, as well. So do you, do you find yourself kind of um, where you'll bury yourself a little bit if you're not careful? Um, I will say that I don't have, uh, there's not too much of, of alone time for me. I've not ever gotten to that point. Yeah, okay. Um, now, I, it seems like one of the things that you were asking what had to do with um, the sort of the plague of, of thoughts uh, and uh, the implication there is that you know, when you're alone, that's when you're going to be alone with your thoughts mm-hmm. the most. And, and d- does their volume get to the point where you can no longer ignore them, for instance, when you're just stewing in your own shit? And for me, I, 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 let me say that certainly, yeah, that's true or, or it can be true. But I, my experience um, of, uh, of, of the, the plague of incessant thought and the plague of, of, uh, of not being able to turn off the negativity and just letting it mount and letting it mount. That's true for me, regardless of the circumstance. It's true even in the midst of uh, 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 sitting around the, on the mats with a bunch of dudes, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so it, uh, it's true on the way up here. It's true on the way back. It's right. true on the way. I, I can literally be um, uh, uh, sitting at a table eating dinner with a dozen people, and I'm, I'm by myself. I'm there by myself. You know? yeah. It just doesn't matter. There are a few circumstances in my life where that's, uh, where that's uh, not true. Um, one of the circumstances where that's not true is in the midst of a role, right? So that's one of the the, 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 the highest virtues I think of doing the sport that we do is that uh, in that in that uh, in that in the midst of that intensity, um, I'm not beset by any awareness uh, other than what I'm doing right this right this moment. Mm-hmm. So I'm not distracted. Um, Who has the best pressure pass to get Westside? Uh, I'd say that Mitch has got a pretty good pressure pass. <laughs> I mean, it's a bitch pass. You got to understand. There's nothing fucking artful about that. Yeah, you're just <laughs> diving your head into their crotch and yeah. smashing. I've never it. said yeah. it looked good. Yeah, it's u- ugly, <laughs> ugly, ugly. So hard to defend though. Um, so uh, in the midst of uh, of rolling, that's a that's a good uh, uh, that's a good um, uh, circumstance for me not to be uh, beset by uncontrollable thoughts. Uh, any, really any time that I'm engaged in, in flow, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. which for me, like if I'm, I'm a, I litigate primarily as an attorney. And so, um, uh, court therefore is a performance, you know, and when I'm doing that, I tend to be, um, uh, outside of myself, I tend to be performing and I'm therefore, uh, uh, the, the better prepared I am to do it, the more flow I get into and the, yeah. and the less in my head I am. So I'm not self-conscious about what's going on. Um, I'll tell you that, uh, 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 for better or worse, uh, there are many drugs out there, uh, drugs and alcohol that can get me there too. Mm. Um, and so, uh, 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 drinking whiskey early in the morning would set me right most days, you know, to be uh, out of my head. It would turn that clock off. I'm still driven out of bed even today by the same, uh, anxiety, uh, that, that drove me out of bed and, and straight into the bottle before. Right. So, Nothing has changed about that, and I don't expect that it ever will. Um, that that same level of of uh, uh, for me, it manifests in the stomach. It's just constant, just adrenaline, pure adrenaline, straight into my gut. And as soon as I wake up and become aware of it, whatever time that is, if it's two o'clock, that's it. Um, I'm up, and that's my that's that's the start of my day, you know. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I, that doesn't go away. That's, uh, that's engendered in me from birth, I suppose, and certainly experience. Um, and so I, uh, I, uh, I used to uh, drink and use drugs to, to get the relief uh, from that. Um, uh, now I can do things like uh, engage in flow at the gym or uh, while I'm in court. The other more profound uh, uh, opportunity for me to unburden myself from the, the, the relentless onslaught of, of negativity in, in my thought and uh, my awareness is meditation. I do mindfulness meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, uh, uh, that's been a salve for me in a way that, that drugs and alcohol were and that other things that are also good for me are. Um, How long have you been sober for? I got sober on September the 27th of 2012. 2012. That was the last day that I drank. Can you give us an idea of what your journey was? Um, how long or what set it off for you? And when did you have the realization that there was a problem that you needed to fix? Sure. Well, um, I, uh, I have been, I had been drinking, uh, since I was 11 years old. So I started drinking really early and I was born in Little Rock and, um, I was one of four kids. Um, and we were, uh, we were, you know, wealthy, uh, white people in Little Rock, nothing objectively wrong in my life. Um, and uh, I had an accident when I was uh, uh, 11. I was uh, sledding and I had a, a really massive head injury uh, that I suffered. Um, and I actually died uh, and, and bled out and my heart stopped. Um, and then uh, was resuscitated uh, in the ambulance ride back or to the emergency room. Um, and I don't know what impact that had on me. I, I know that it obviously caused brain damage. Um, uh, to have uh, have undergone that, but uh, you have a plate or or something. Yeah, all yeah. all my forehead is is made out of titanium, um, and I, all things being equal, I, I have not I'm not conscious of any uh, of any deficit that remains from that. But it was traumatic, and um, it was also my first exposure to hydrocodone. Uh, well, and I, that was the first time I was exposed to hydrocodone, and I was aware of it. I had been uh, also exposed to what I now know was fentanyl and morphine uh, during uh, the surgery, and I had to undergo surgery for a long time because of that. But um, I got my first uh, taste of hydrocodone when I was 11, um, and I started drinking shortly thereafter. Um, I drank alcoholically from the start, uh, which is to say that I didn't... Um, uh, uh, I was, I was doing it because it was effective medicine. Like I, it, it, there were times that I drank and did other things because it was the cool thing to do and I wanted to be ahead of my time and that kind of stuff. But Why do you think you kept regulating with drugs and alcohol? What do you think was the motivation? Do you feel like it's something that, like you said, there's something in your stomach that you need to quiet that's always sure. been there? Or do you feel like it's something that happened after your accident that, it, it's, that changed? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it is uh, an antidote to suffering. So um, as I was sitting there breathing and drawing breath, I suffered and I didn't like it. And uh, of the options that were available to me, um, I think I just happened upon it. I mean, honest to God, it, it, the way that I view it now is that my drug and alcohol addiction, I view them as learning disorders, not, not that different from, you know, dyslexia. Uh, and 
I think that it that that learning disorder manifested in me kind of in an evolutionary kind of way, in the sense that it was just a random mutation that happened to be uh, uh, I, the the mutation. That's not that's not a perfect analogy, but the mutation here is that I just happened to bump into substances that affected the way that I felt. Had I not bumped into them, I wouldn't have developed those learned behaviors, and and that wouldn't be a thing for me. I, the way that I view my life now is that that was a ver- that was a blessing, not a curse. But um, but um, I just happened to bump into these things that fixed this problem. Other things also now fix the problem. But uh, the the problem there is suffering. That's what I that's what I was treating, and and uh, with great effect, uh, with great efficacy, uh, early on. Less so the longer I did it. You're, so you basically you're saying it wasn't learned behavior from like. Um, you know, like watching your parents being alcoholics or no. uh, drinking to solve their problems or anything. It was something that you just, you know, just happened across, like you said, and uh, and some of the stumbled into. When I say it was learned behavior, I, I view it as a learning disorder, and uh, because I I view fundamentally all my behaviors, all human behavior, as being uh, this purely sort of uh, Skinnerian like operant conditioning. Um, I I just uh, I do things based on positive and negative reinforcement. Right, I learn yeah, things based yeah. on positive and negative reinforcement. And what what positively and negatively reinforces in my life is somewhat random. Mm. It's just a chance that I happen to, um, you know, any of the th- any of the of the behaviors that I've learned are just random chance that I that that I engaged in an activity and got either the negative feedback, holy shit, don't do that again, right. or the positive feedback. Oh my God, that terrible feeling you have every morning when you wake up. If you'll just drink a beer when you get in the shower, it goes away. Mm. And uh, I've always said uh, to people new in recovery, just view yourself as a simple calculator. The calculus here is very simple. You know, you're, uh, it, it, it makes sense. There's reason to this. There's, it's very rational. Uh, uh, all we're trying to do is rid ourselves of these feelings that, that, that are plaguing us. Uh, and and debilitating feelings. I mean, I, I don't want to overstate it, but my fucking anxiety is enough to stun a team of oxen in their tracks, man. It is hardcore, and uh, it is persistent. And I'm 37 years old. I've been dealing with with this since as long as I can remember. Uh, this this uh, it, I, the way that I envision it is Pepto Bismol, like the commercial. The adrenaline. Uh, it feels like it's coming from the top of my stomach, coating the inside of my stomach, just in a complete just just like this mm-hmm. and uh it is um debilitating it is a it it changes the quality and tone of my experience every day uh and if i'm not doing something about it then i'm just going to sit there and, and and die do you feel like your anxiety stems from something in your genetics or do you feel like it's something that was mm-hmm. major in your life or where where does that come from that it's always there that you feel like you had to numb it it's a good question. I, I think it's a, a learned behavior. So it's not, uh, uh, it's weird to call that a behavior. Um, but everything that happens to this organic body uh, of mine uh, is, uh, is, a, is a learned behavior. Now, uh, obviously, I'm a, I'm, I'm a genetic being. I'm made up of the things that made me up. And in the environment in which I exist, those genes are expressed in the particular way that, that I sit here right now. But um, uh, and so I probably have a predisposition to be anxious. My forebears going back 150 generations, obviously it was a, it was a virtue. 
Uh, one thing that's not going to happen to me is a motherfucker's not going to sneak up behind me. You know, like I, <laughs> I, I'm seeing them when they're not even fucking there. So when they are actually there, it's a it's a virtue. Uh, that's why that gene kept getting passed on. I think um, it's I think it's funny and, and interesting the way you said that, where you said um, I'm seeing them when they're not even there. And and are you re- are you referring to the fact that because of your anxiety, you're under the assumption that something or someone <laughs> is there at all times or not it's, like a schizophrenic type. You're not show. actually seeing somebody. Yeah, I know. I know he's not actually seeing somebody. <laughs> no, and so. I mentioned that because you know, um, I I understand uh, a level of um, volumized self awareness, mm-hmm. right? And so that's why I'm asking that question, right? Um, and and I do equate it to to the level of awareness that we have to have in my profession when we're doing our job forward of the U.S. Right. Um, because you do create a, a level of, of heightened awareness. Sure. Um, and so I was just wondering if that's what if that if that's what you were intending when you said that. Well, so uh, when I say seeing them when they're not even there, uh, it, I don't mean to personify that. It's it's any threat, and that threat could be anything, mm-hmm. not necessarily a physical threat. I mean, it, it's a threat to me, for instance, to have my ego injured. Okay. So so it's a threat to me. Uh, uh, for me, I get I get anxious uh, if I've got to go and, and conduct a performance like uh, doing a, a, a match in uh, in uh, Masters Worlds, mm-hmm. uh, where there's the potential that I'm going to first of all get injured. That's a physical threat, mm-hmm. uh, but also a threat that I'm going to be humiliated. Which right. which I, I, let's be honest, or at least me being honest, that that motivates me more than just about anything. Looking like a fucking idiot makes me right. just thinking about it makes me crazy. And uh, that's purely environmental, by the way. Me, me, me having a sensitivity to looking like an idiot. There's nothing genetic about that. That's mm-hmm. that's purely because I got trained early on. Don't look like a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so middle school will do that to you. It, it, <laughs> yeah. Everything. I mean, yeah. And it's a that's a sturdy lesson. Like that one. That one ain't. That's coming what public about. school is kind of for. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah. that's what parents are for. Yeah. yeah. Parents yeah. do that to a large extent. Mm-hmm. And. We always valued in my household, uh, you know, uh, intellectualism above all things, you know, and and so um, uh, to be an idiot or to, to be perceived to be an idiot was tantamount to death. We just that was not a thing. So you you said you have you have there were four children. There are four children, and your brother's an attorney as well, right? That's right. So you and your brother are attorneys. Mm-hmm. Your dad was an attorney, if mm-hmm. I'm not wrong. That's right. Um, and then do you have two other brothers or sisters or? I have two other sisters. Or, and what profession did they go into? My my younger sister is an APN. My older sister, who's the oldest, is a teacher. Okay. Um, and so. So uh, you and your brother were the successful children. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, actually, you know, uh, the the economy being what it is, healthcare is the thing to be in. But, sure. Uh, sure. Um, uh, and I don't know if we're the happiest. My my brother, who's also an attorney, um, uh, has did not have the benefit of uh, of the addiction that I had that got me to the place that I got to that allows me now to process the vicissitudes of practicing law. Um, well, he gave up on it, didn't he? Isn't that what you told he's me? He's building houses. Yeah, now. he, he, yeah, just he left the to... practice of law and went right. into that. So that's, that's right. interesting. It's a uh, it's a it's a pretty stressful business unto itself. Um, but the threats that there are any threat at all, and I see them even if they're not there. The mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, the imagery that I've always had in my mind about that is is uh, all of this anxiety arises in this part of our brain in the in the midbrain called the amygdala and the hippocampus, um, and the optic nerve passes through these these two um, 
these two regions of the midbrain on their on its way back uh, to uh, the visual center, which is the cerebellum in the back of your brain. Um, and it's a, it goes there uh, in, uh, not on purpose, uh, but but deliberately by evolutionary design um, because. Um, uh, it senses danger even before your 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 thinking brain, your forebrain, uh, gets to process that there is danger there. That's important because seconds count, and so and they've demonstrated this pretty uh, uh, with pretty sturdy research. I will recoil from the sight of a snake before my brain is able to, uh, to before there's cognition that there is a snake there before mm-hmm. my cerebellum's even seen the fucking image mm-hmm. because that image has passed through my uh, hippocampus, which is also like a, a, a memory store. Uh, and if there's the possibility that the pile of leaves is a snake, even if it's not there, I'll jerk my hand back. And that's saved however many 150 generations before me. And hence that, that lesson lives on. I do that at almost anything that looks like a snake, like funny looking sticks. Exactly. <laughs> And, and you're not responsible. I don't even have to be close to him. That's right. I get it. Is a gag reflex also something that <laughs> happens? It is. <laughs> because we both have that yeah. pretty severe. <laughs> Dis- disgust is, is, again, that's something that Lizzie you're... may or may not have seen me thrown up into the <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I can't. Mm-mm. Yeah. Snakes are bad. So it seems like you had a lot of anxiety growing up, and a lot of it could have been due from the pressure that was put on you. Do you feel like... Um, because I, I have, I've come from a similar situation. My, my parents had a lot of expectations and there was a lot of anxiety about who I could be or who I was, or was it enough? Do you feel like you carry those same things? Is that part of your anxiety that you were talking about? Or is that a, a separate situation? No, it is. I mean, I, I would say that informs it in part. It's not it probably doesn't carry my getting my father's approval probably carries less and less importance every day that goes by. Right. Mm-hmm. So I've got my own kids now and, and, um, that's just, uh, I'm not going to suggest it's well and fully behind me, but it, it probably doesn't mean as much to me anymore. Now the, the things that inform my anxiety are are sort of topical for my age and station. Right. So I've got two young kids. Those that gives me tremendous anxiety and, um, I'm married now and uh, you know, that gives me tremendous anxiety. Um, I've got a business to run that gives me anxiety, you know, so the things the, the landscape changes, obviously, um, but the, the consistency there is it doesn't matter what what's true in my life, because I've 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 experienced some some stark contrast in terms of of, uh, of what my day to day experience is like. I've been homeless um, and, and living on on um, uh, less money than I now spend uh, uh less money than I would throw out the window accidentally not care about. Was that like your low point or what was your low point that kind of. Yeah. Your... Right before I got sober. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I'd really call it my low point anymore, but uh, it certainly was the, uh, the, 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 the height of my addiction and alcoholism. Um, so that all of the things Again, I, I view that habit as having been a learning disorder. The the, uh, the habituated use of alcohol and drugs to change my my headspace um, uh, was was it. I didn't do it because it didn't work. I did it because it did work. Uh, it, it was effective, and I and I was I learned that it cured the anxiety, and so I, I was like, well, if two's good, then four's even better. And mm-hmm. and 
it's not like there's conscious thought into this. This is what my brain does. This is what our brains do. And uh, it's a little bit of a bastardized version of it, but it's that's good, sturdy, rational learning. And I and I learned it. I learned the lesson well, such that at the end it became habituated to the point that my my thinking brain, my my cortex, couldn't stop it anymore. So that where, where early on I'd say, well, it's really effective to get rid of my anxiety to drink whiskey in the morning. However, I've got court today, so better not. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's an example of the intervention of my thinking brain saying, well. There are good reasons not to do what my midbrain is telling me to do. At some point in my use, uh, I, I, I lost that ability, such that it didn't matter what the circumstances were. It didn't matter what the cost was. Um, there were there were uh, no barriers to that would keep me from pursuing that. We're all like that, by the way, as it relates to food. Um, oh yeah. And and we don't we don't yeah. experience the relative deprivation of food, but if it were um, if it were between not eating and dying or eating there's nothing you wouldn't do to eat and uh that's a that's a learned behavior it's uh it's addiction and and we all accept that it's an, it's necessary and so we accept that that's a, a thing but um the 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 pathology of it, it's not any different uh it's just that we happen to need the one and and on the on the alcohol and, and drug side i just manufacture a need and um there's there's two phases to that in my experience and getting past that, that acute phase where I'm, where my brain's just out of control. That really is for me, it required this level of depravity where I, I was homeless, jobless, uh, couldn't maintain a single human relationship, didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. And, um, I had endured in that condition for a fairly long time so that, you know, uh, even my ability to do that, even my ability to, to absorb all that, that struggle, well, I was anesthetized to it. I, I could do that for a fairly long time. I can't really honestly say what it was. It wasn't just because I was homeless and jobless and couldn't maintain a relationship because um, I'd been that way for a fair amount of time. Um, so I can't really say what it was that pushed me uh, over the edge on September the 27th. I mean, the circumstances of getting sober were that... Um, uh, I was broke. I didn't have anywhere to go. And my brother was like, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pay for you to go into one more treatment center. And I, I'd been in a treatment center that summer, a really, really nice treatment center up in Nashville, um, steak dinner kind of place. And that I now know that just fed my addiction, you know, cause it didn't make me have to pay for shit. I didn't have to, right. I, didn't have, I didn't have to suffer a consequence for anything. Uh, and so I was just like, Oh, this is, this is going to get me sober. And I got back and I was back to drinking within 20 days. Um, the, I got sober. My first day of sobriety was uh, the first day that I checked into um, uh, the River Road uh, um, Recovery Centers of Arkansas, which is a, I don't know if you guys have any experience with this place, but um, there are flop houses that I have crashed at that were better than this place. I mean, it was the bottom of the fucking barrel. It is the referral source, referral point for people who are about to check into federal prison. Oh. Uh, right. So it is not a pleasant place to be, and it's not a good place for recovery at all. Uh, it's fraught with, it's overrun with, with uh, uh, in-house uh, shit, you know. Uh, you can get anything you want there. I was there for three days. I stayed there for three days. It was still the beginning of my sobriety, but I didn't stay there to get sober. I, I went there, my brother, he paid $800 uh, as a last-ditch effort to get me sober. That bought me 30, day, 30 days 
some fucking tweaker, uh, just, I can't remember exactly what he did, but some tweaker was just absolutely wearing me out. And I was like, I'm not fucking staying here. So I, I, everything that I owned, I had in a trash bag and I threw it over my shoulder and I left. That was on a Monday and maybe it was a Sunday. Uh, and I walked, um, at the time I, I, I was not, uh, atheist, I guess. Uh, and I walked to the church that I had participated in a lot, uh, up to that point, Christ Church, which is an Episcopal church downtown. And, um, I went and saw the vicar there and I told him I'd just left rehab and I didn't have anywhere to go. And he, he, uh, he gave me a 30 day bus pass and he took me across the street to the La Quinta Inn on Broadway and, uh, got me a room for the night. And I walked out of there and I walked over to, uh, uh Wall Street, which is a, an AA, it's a 12-step place just down the street. And that began a, a, about an 18-month-long journey in, in AA and, and recovery through 12 steps. Um, and um, I didn't do that right uh, by any stretch. I, 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 uh, Ashley and I got married in that year, and we had our first baby within that year. And, and uh, The golden rule of AA or getting sober is you should never have any intimate relationships within the first year. Especially oh, yeah. not babies. Yeah. <laughs> you can't even have a fucking plant. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but we did. I did. She was two or three years sober at that point, but um, I was two or three days sober. And uh, in retrospect, it was okay, but we didn't know that. Um, so, uh, and at the time, I believed that I got sober because um, I believed that that missing link was uh, divine intervention. It was the only explanation that I had. Um, these people were telling me that, uh, uh, that um, I had to let go and that only God could do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And um, there, was no, uh, there was no dogma associated with that, or there, I should say there, there was no um, uh, specific denominational literature to support this. It was more in the nature of just, uh, you, God can be whatever the fuck you want it to be, but uh, you just gotta turn your will and your power over to God, whatever that means. Um, I, it, I, I, I do still ascribe my success to my belief at that time. I've lost the belief. I, I now think that uh, that was just foolishness, but um, uh, I don't yet have a replacement uh, for that belief for somebody who's in early recovery because it was instrumental in my early recovery. The best thing that I've ever heard, if you're not someone who's religious, is go out in the ocean, put your hands out, wait for a wave, and try not to get knocked over. There's always a force that's greater than you, whether you believe in a spiritual power or a physical power. There's always something in this world that's greater than you. And I think it's just that realization that you're not it. Sure. And um, I think that's that's the, the missing link with the addiction portion is this ego and I'm it and everything's me and I'm the beginning and the end. And I think that's trying to just knock that down. Yeah. Even if you're not a religious person, I think someone can relate to that. Sure. Do you, what do you consider to be sober? So some people, if they were alcoholic or they're a drug addict, they still smoke weed or mm -hmm. take prescription drugs if they have surgeries. Sure. What do you consider to be sober? What's your idea of that? At, at one point, I, I contemplated getting no morphine tattooed across my chest just in the event that I might have a car wreck and they might try to give me some. Mm -hmm. And um, um, so my conception of sobriety is that uh, I drink coffee, mm -hmm. um, but that's all I do. Um, and I don't take 
cough medicine. I don't take, I don't, I don't take anything that, that gives me a head change. I'm not dogmatic about that. I, I don't mean to suggest that, that if I showed up at the hospital with a fucking leg cut off, uh, that I, that, that I would turn down morphine. I mean, that, that's, that's hysterical. Um, and if I, uh, there was a time that I ate a piece of chocolate that had like liquid bourbon in the middle of it and I didn't burst into fucking flames. Okay. So it's not <laughs> the allergy, uh, 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 argument that takes place a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm against that. I, I, the point is, is do I take something that gives me a head change, even if that's uh, a Claritin D, uh, if it does, uh, if it gives me a head change, then, um, for me, repeated exposure to that is going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. And so my solution to that is that I just don't, I just don't do it. Now, having said that, what I do at the gym is a problem in some respect. It's giving me a head change. Mm -hmm. We've just decided that it's okay. We've just decided that it's not, uh, you know, that there's not a, that the consequences are not bad. In fact, we say they're good. You're getting exercise, right? Um, but I mean, I'm obsessive about it. Uh, it is because of this problem that I got in my brain that I go every day. It's because of this problem that I got in my brain that I, it's because of this heightened learning acuity, you know, where, where my, my brain learns lessons very fast, uh, that I, um, uh, that I, uh, go to the gym every day. That gives me a head change. And the same thing was true for running. I think you represent the majority of people who do jujitsu and combat sports, especially for some reason. Yeah. Um, it just attracts the people. I mean that that need that head change and need that positive uh, the positive head change. Something yeah. something for the good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, w w had, did you were you doing jujitsu whenever you started getting sober? Or was that I kind of missed a little bit of the first part sure. of what you were talking about with your journey to jujitsu? No. Um, were you sober? Or was it, or did you just come like kind of halfway in? Where did that come into yeah, your sobriety? I, I was years sober when I found it. Okay. Jiu -Jitsu, and you so. just kind of found that that started to help with that, uh, those feelings and those, those wants. It, 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 uh, it was not, uh, instrumental in my having achieved sobriety. Um, it is, it has been instrumental in my having, I don't want to say maintain sobriety. That's a big problem I have with, with recovery programs in general is this fear mongering that it's just, your disease is out in the parking lot doing push-ups, kind of a thing. Like it's just waiting to fuck you. I don't really ascribe to that either. I just uh, uh, um, uh, getting sober is hard. I don't really know how to how that happens. There's uh, an element of chance to that, just as there was the development of the addiction in the first place. Um, uh, I was already sober though when I got here. This maintain this this uh, 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 jujitsu program of recovery, so to speak. Uh, uh, I believe is instrumental in my maintaining sobriety because the accumulation of, of stress and anxiety is what's going to put me at a point where I say, fuck it. Uh, if I, if, if I allow the stress and anxiety in my life to accumulate to the point that, um, uh, it becomes intolerable, I have a solution and I'm going to go to it. Like, uh, uh that, that will happen. I just know that I've, I've done that so many times in my life that that lesson is well and fully learned. And so I'm keeping the, the circumstances of that inevitability at bay uh, as best as I can. And before jujitsu, I was doing that initially with nothing but prayer and meditation. And then it was uh, prayer and meditation and running 100 miles a week, you know, and then it was just running 100 miles a week. And now it's 
doing jujitsu and running 20 miles a week. What was the, going back to your running, um, you had competed in races, right? Yeah, foot races. Um, and it's not like well, I, didn't, I didn't think you were. I don't know what kind of race there would have been. Um, well, single track. It's just NAS- not, it's not, NASCAR, right? Like uh, you, were, you were doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I fucked those fuckers up too. Yeah. Uh, not on a track. So doing just doing single track, like uh, like a like um, like a Moab two hundred. Exactly. Um, what is the longest race that you've done? Right now, 31, 32 miles. So you've done a thirty-two. So you've you've done. But are you are you working toward doing a hundred miler at some point? I am. So right now, the the next run on the docket that's an ultra distance is uh, the Silomo, the three days of Silomo, which is a a fifty um, k, a fifty miler, and then a, a either a twenty k or a twenty miler. I can't remember. In three consecutive days. And that's done up near Allison, Arkansas, uh, near the Sillamore River. Um, and uh, I'm doing that in preparation for the Leadville 100, which is um, in Colorado. What's the altitude in, in that area of Colorado? Have you looked fucking up? high. Is it? Yeah. yeah. I only asked because I spent three weeks in Colorado Springs at 7,250 feet. I wish you could hear my eyes rolling right now. <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know how to make that a sound. <laughs> what did I my say? eyes rolling you, you, would be. <laughs> you need to, so in, in, in litigation, the only record is this transcript, litiga- or this transcript record. And so you have to learn how to verbalize it. Let the record reflect. <laughs> yeah. My fucking eyes are spinning in my head. <laughs> There we go. You're hired. You're on. Go ahead with your story no, about your. I don't you went a, to altitude once. I don't have a story anymore. <laughs> it's only been on 15 podcasts. I'm sorry. I have a boring life. Just refer back to those. It, it, yeah, just so being the record that, shows that there's other records of this conversation. Being being at that altitude is a is a, a bitch, you know, and uh, it's a it's a, it's especially a bitch for somebody coming from a lower altitude. So you, as you know, obviously, I don't know. Apparently. <laughs> I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to know, but maybe. Maybe, I, I hiked up Mount Pinnacle the other day. Um, I was pretty high altitude. Uh, <laughs> I, wish, I wish I had a story to relate to that. Mount, Mount Pinnacle. I did some shadow boxing up there uh, for the high altitude and everything. Hey, we do have a actually, we had a story pop up this week um, that kind of refers back to a couple of past episodes where we used to do um, album reviews uh, every once in a while. And we were going to do one on a band called Jank. And then we found out that like the singer had got into wrapped up in some weird like uh Me Too scandal or oh, sex shit, weird really? thing, right? So we're like, okay, probably shouldn't review them and talk about how much we like their album, um, whatever. And then we I, in one of the reports it said that he started writing uh music with another under another band name as a way to cope with his feelings and like mm. deal with whatever traumatic event happened i didn't know what happened or we didn't know what happened anyways i happened across this album finally and it's like it might as well i told mitch it might as well be titled my list of millennial excuses for wanting to fuck a 15 year old like it's (laughs) yeah it's seriously it's one of the most like it's one of the most uncomfortable albums i've ever listened to in my life really like he legitimately says at one point like fuck these societal standards that like keep us from being together or something like that 
yeah. tries to blame it on the LB- LGBT community. And another in another lyric, it's fucking weird, dude. And the reason we mentioned that is because, like you said, we one of the things we used to do on the podcast is we would do like an album review. Yeah. yeah. Um, and because when we intend intentionally developed the podcast, it was never supposed to be like an MMA podcast or a jujitsu podcast. Sure. We really just wanted to talk about things that we found interesting that we thought were uh, great topics, and that was one of the things. And this is the juicy gossip that we have right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, it, it was really an interesting thing because um, we got pretty stoked about doing the album. Yeah. And then, like, almost overnight, we were they came out that the lead singer, whose name was Lou Diamond, not to be confused with Lou Diamond Phillips sure, sure, sure. of La Bamba fame. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, and he, he literally, and I quote, aggressively sexually assaulted a 15-year-old girl. Yeah. Right? And, um, and then wrote songs, and then wrote songs excusing about it, it. Yeah. right as an excuse. Um, it's very like it's very transparent, and obvious. Yeah, what he's doing in the lyrics, like it's it's wild, man. I don't 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 anybody go listen to it. Just trust our word for it, because I don't want to give him the Spotify. List I feel like everybody's it. gonna go listen to it. Now. Yeah, but see, like Spotify <laughs> doesn't care about what. Yeah. And that we're, we're not I don't giving care the, if it's forensic listening. They're like, yeah, yeah, it's just numbers. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to give. I don't want to give that fucker money. I used to um, idolize uh, Ryan Adams, who's uh, I, I just always identified with uh, his songwriting, um, and I was fucking devastated when I learned that he was, uh, you know, uh, not a pedophile. He wasn't a fucking pedophile, but. Uh, Piece of shit. I'll just call him okay. a piece of shit. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. He's, there's, he's a fucking piece of there's shit. There's a lot of those artists. I mean, like, Chris Brown is headed down that way. Yeah. You know, like, nobody nobody is going to remember in 10 years that he beat the shit out of Rihanna. Right. Because everybody's just going to pump out his music and That's right. be you, dancing in the clubs. You and I talked about this before on Wait, the podcast. was it Rihanna? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was Rihanna. Okay, and, sorry. And I am, uh, it's something we've talked about before on the podcast, so I just want to check with you guys. Is it okay that I tell this? What? Okay. I don't know um, what you're telling. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like I'm getting banned from telling stories. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> um, but did you watch the fights last night? I didn't. Okay. I um, watched the replay, but I could. I can't see him fucking. I, I saw two shoulder shrugs. Dude, it was I apparently Johnny's been doing that for years. Um, <laughs> oh, that's your move. Yeah, fucking it's not necessarily that. my move. <laughs> I, will, I was. Well. I was saying. I was mentioning like there was a guy that was teaching that to us in like 2007 oh, on yeah. the on the doing that on the wall in the truck um, going to go get donuts. It's a I mentioned move. it, and Johnny rolled his eyes and then said, "I've been doing that since like 2007." Well, that's I have. I have been because I drilled it in 2007. If there's, if there's say it's my move. It's the most emo <laughs> thing I've ever heard someone say about <laughs> I, do, I did it before everybody I was else. Doing it before Conor McGregor did it. Um, but Lloyd Irvin was uh, coaching um, one of the fighters. I can't remember off the top of my head which fighter it was. Hashtag but, fuck Lloyd Irvin. Yeah. And so I don't know if you're familiar with Lloyd Irvin's story, no. but um, he was Keenan Cornelius's um, original uh, jiu-jitsu coach. JT Torres was, mm-hmm. it was one of his coaches. Um, out of uh, Maine, and they got wrapped up in some serious cult-like behavior to include um, the the assault, sexual assault, and rape of multiple female students. Yeah, and it was and Lloyd Irvin was like the ringleader of, of like saying, "Hey, like you you want to be a world champion or not?" You know, it was one of those situations. Suck on this pee. Suck on yeah, exactly. The way to the top is through my dick, mm-hmm. and. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Well, fa- he got banned from the IBJJF and everything, right? Well, fast forward to now, present day. Um, and no one cares. Nobody cares. 
um, Muhammad Ali, the really, really popular grappler who's doing well right now, yeah. it's one of his students. Like, he's back on top again. It's like nobody remembers what happened. And uh, JT Torres and Kenny Cornelius left Lloyd Urban's organization and went to Otto's because of that. Yeah. Their kid's instructor, who is now like a big time jiu-jitsu star, uh, was like, has two two different uh, rape cases on him. Really? Um, yeah. And like one of them, they had like, they had evidence of text messages that he sent where he was like, sorry, that went down the way that it did last oh, night. Oh, yeah, yeah. He like raped an underage girl or something. Sorry, that In his car. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was like, sorry, that went down the way that it did. Yeah. Uh, but let me cool, take right? you. Let me take you out or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I'll buy you ice cream because I know kids your age like ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And then he's like, he's fighting on fucking fight to win or IBJJF, whatever. Nobody yeah. cares. It's crazy, dude. I I've said it for a long time. Like I think that the I thought that the Me Too movement was gonna hit the jiu jitsu scene and just fucking I was like packing my bags. I was ready to leave. <laughs> uh, but you I said like a bolo set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought it was gonna just like ravage the jiu jitsu scene and it just like skipped right over it. Yeah. It was weird. In MMA too, I'm sure that it happens in MMA. It happens everywhere. Um, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's just strange that it um, that it never materialized in the way that it did through the Hollywood situation. Yeah. You know, it's because it, at this moment, BJJ is is a fairly popular sport. Yeah. I mean, it is fairly. I popular. just don't think that the females in jujitsu have enough support to get it going. You know. Yeah. Because they they're still struggling with like they had that recent uh, situation where I think it was one of the alliance coaches. Uh, or Nicholas Marigali's coach, uh, he kicked all the females out of the competition oh, yeah. team. I remember that. Yeah. Um, and, and and all of that. So like, yeah, I, I just don't know about that because Hillary posted about it. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, you know, as somebody who I know trains every day, um, do you even do you follow the sport itself, or do you, you know, because typically when you're a, a competitor involved in a sport like this you know you like zachity you know yeah. zachity competes and he follows all the things he knows whatever you know bruno's the same way you you talk to bruno and bruno can tell you who won the 2009 pan ams featherweight open class you know um do you follow the sport at all or do you kind of just use it as a as the sport as a tool in itself to to do what we've talked about up to this point i do but i i don't do it uh with the intentionality of of Zachary or Bruno. Right. So the, I, I know a fair amount. I know, I know the players and I know some of the statistics, but I do that only because um, it's weird to me how, how, uh, how, how jujitsu fucks with your head. But um, my wife and I have a serious problem with communication because um, she'll be talking to me and I will be visualizing uh, a match that I had the day before. Really? Mm -hmm. All, yeah. And this happens. Uh, this happens in court. This happens. It does not matter the circumstances. Interesting. It's an interesting episode of, of being beset by uncontrollable thinking. Um, but uh, uh, so yeah. you really are the meme. That's it's the yeah, husband the and wife. Next to her, yeah. The husband and wife in bed. That's and, right. And she's like, I he's, bet he's he, thinking he of another some other woman. <laughs> and like, I wish I'd choke that motherfucker to death. Yeah. No, it's yeah. not. Like I'll play. It's not even. It's not. It's not rehashing either. It's just like I, I visualize the whole thing. Like I'm just going through it, and I. There's also something uh, peculiar about the um, the physicality of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Mm -hmm. 
and it's especially uh, important the controlling of another individual. And I don't know why that what what part of our brain that itches, but um, uh, I visualize sweeps in particular. Uh, in fact, almost exclusively, I visualize sweeps habitually, uh, and what it's like to sweep somebody. Just I've never done it, so I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you have to be on your back. For you to do it, <laughs> yeah. um, the uh, uh, and so it's uh, another feature of this of this hugely intoxicating addiction is that I watch videos all the fucking time. So do you watch matches or do you watch, I watch technique matches. videos? Okay, I don't so. I don't ever watch technique videos. I can't stand somebody trying to verbalize what they do. Sure. I sure. never I always mute them. Yeah. Yeah, I'll mute them and watch them just like in the background. Yeah. And uh, cuz most of it's like most of it's like here's an arm bar and it's like mm -hmm. okay, I've fucking seen this a million times, you know. Yeah. And so I'm just looking for like that, that extra little, little tiny detail then yeah. I might turn the volume on. And I, I but I especially like uh watching competition matches because uh, it's full steam ahead which is the, kind of the only circumstance on which it's going to matter because you're yeah. catching you're catching the technique being executed exactly in its purest form uh, un under the circumstances yeah. of execution not right. under the circumstances of flow rolling at the gym or certainly not drilling right and so i mean there's i don't mean to besmirch drilling as that's an important feature of it but if you want to uh if you want to see how uh, somebody's um, uh, particular sweep is going to be executed. Uh, I used to, uh, uh, there are a few people who I, I get genuinely giddy when I see new rounds on, on YouTube. Uh, Hoffa Mendes is one of them. Mm -hmm. Hoffa's stuff, I've watched every single thing that's on uh, anywhere. In fact, there's a uh, an earlier Nogi Pimenta match uh, with Hoffa. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, problem that I have with Hoffa's stuff is his highlight reels often consist of like, his green belts in the gym you know what i'm saying like he's got like really good yellow belts and green belt like little kids that could beat my ass <laughs> but it's like he'll have like a 30 minute roll session with a 12 year old right and i'm like that's it's impressive what you're doing right. but like yeah. not because it's against another human being there, there are there, uh so i there's some uh tournament in japan called bull terrier is that right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, or no, the Hickson Cup. Hickson, yeah, Hickson Cup. Cup. Yes, Bull Terrier is a geek company. That's I right. know exactly what you're, the video you're talking about. There's yeah. like seven matches for this. It's like 2005 Hickson yeah. Cup, and he was just like, uh, uh, I, I have. Well, I'm not gonna say that because this might get heard. But uh, anyway, I've watched those things, and his execution and his stamina uh, in that has always been what I have attempted to mm -hmm. emulate. Because he, uh, every fucking footfall that he makes is intentional. Right. And. Um, and he's so dominating and he is so in control and it does not matter what your, what his opponent did. He had an answer for it mm -hmm. and he knew the fucking answer before the opponent knew the move. I mean, it was incredible. Someone that I, I, I think is in that same category and you, you nailed it when you said that every, every misstep, every, every body position was intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, if you've ever trained with Bryce. Yeah. Right. Um, he's someone that I've never understood how he was always in the right place at the right time, no matter the circumstance. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know that he realizes that he's doing it. I think it's all instinctual, whether it's mm -hmm. natural athleticism or in Hoffa's case, hours upon hours upon hours of drilling and execution. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a, it's a body awareness that that uh, Pimenta has a strong body awareness like yeah. that too. Yeah. When you watch him float pass and stuff, and you this this awareness of where he's at in relation to where his opponent is and yeah. where the both of their balances are is something that that I probably will never obtain. Um, at least not on an adult. So mm. that's why you put highlights of you doing it on your green belts. Yep. I had a, 
every time I watch the highlight of him, Hoffa at the Hickson Cup, and uh, or a Ted today highlight, my passing abilities go up by like plus plus fifty. Yeah, like yeah. for the next two weeks, <laughs> I'm like flying around people. Oh, I know. I'm out in the mats dancing afterwards. <laughs> that stuff matters though. Watching that stuff, it does. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I going to class is important. That's one huge deficit in my game. Uh, is going is, to uh, class? I don't get to go to class. <laughs> That's the most important part of your game. I know, <laughs> uh, but it's uh, it's also the so. I have to like lie to my wife to be able to go in the evening. Oh uh, yeah. And so, uh, uh, not because she doesn't support it, but because we have a four and a six year old, and and um, yeah, I'm yeah. doing it all the time. Yeah, and so, you have shit to do. Yeah. And so, um, and and as I've indicated, the most important part of it to me is the is the uh, uh, unburdening myself and getting mm-hmm. burning off that steam. So drilling does not do that for me as well mm-hmm. as live as live rolling does. And so I I have to when I first started. I mean, I was going uh, uh, every single day. I was hitting every single class, doing uh, staying for two and a half hours at a time. Now I, uh, I'm still, I'm not going every day, but I'm going uh, five or six days a week, catching an hour when I can. You know. And what so, rank are you now? Huh? What rank are you now? I'm a blue belt. At what point did it change from going to class every day to starting to kind of fade away? Was that around blue belt? No, uh, it was after Worlds. Okay. It was after okay. Worlds. I was trying to see if I could tag you with the blue belt disappearing disease. I definitely did not have that. Okay. <laughs> I got my blue belt after 11 months. Yeah. And and uh, I got it because I was going every day and mm-hmm. I, I worked hard for that shit. Um, and I was competing early and I um, was doing well. And um, honestly, I thought I'd get my purple belt after Worlds. I, I'll bit. talk to you early. Well, at this point, <laughs> first of all, I'm si- I'm already signed up for for Houston and at Blue, so that well, and also Rowley doesn't listen to anything I say, so he doesn't listen. Not, I, I swear to God, I, I, the only reason I thought that is because I thought he told me that. But uh, in any case, <laughs> here we are, and so um, maybe next year. <laughs> but uh, um, I don't know. I, I I never suffered from a uh, a reduction in in participation. Um, I don't get to go to class as much because if I'm going to burn that much time for drilling, then I'm I'm going to go back to the office. I usually go uh, during the noon hour for class. I'm going to go back to the office, still wound up tight as a clock. Yeah, yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah, you got to get that like release. Yeah, just from moving the, and the, the fatigue, mm-hmm. the pleasant fatigue. Yeah. Once I can get to that point, then uh, I know I'm I'm good. That makes sense. I wonder absolutely. how much of this anxiety, by the way, you asked about like what the genesis of the anxiety is. I wonder how much of it is metabolic. Like how much of it has to do with my metabolism and what hmm. I'm, how, how much I've got. You need to get that energy yeah. out is what you're saying. Yeah. 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 You mean, that makes absolutely like, sense. Like, like a hyperactive child would, would incur? Perhaps. I mean, I don't have that. I don't have like Obviously, ADHD yeah, kind for sure. of an issue. I never did. But um, it doesn't manifest as as. Uh, fidgety mm-hmm. it manifests as debilitating fucking anxiety yeah but but it goes away when i'm fatigued and so if that's true then you know how much of it might might be related to my metabolism and how much extra... could be an evolutionary response yeah hey you need to fucking work out yeah <laughs> well i mean you know carrying around a bunch of extra energy is not necessarily a good thing either right so, no yeah um i, I get that i i'm the, i'm a lot the same way like i have to stay busy 100 percent of the time yeah and so i i would consider myself i would i wouldn't consider myself a video game addict but i definitely will sit down and play video games just to zone out and clear my head and like not think about anything but what's going on in that moment yeah 
and and use that as a crutch. But that's like my way of keeping my mind busy, but yeah. also forcing myself to just kind of relax and like hang around. Because otherwise, I'll be like looking at the computer, or even just like a lot of times you'll just fucking sit there and be like, I'm bored. I just want to do something. Yeah, you know, and you're not doing anything about it, and you just right. fuck. I want to do something, but I'm just. I'm just gonna sit here yeah. and complain about it instead. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there's uh, the uh, the book that I'm reading right now was written by a, uh, an MD physician at uh, Brown University. His name is Judson Brewer. The book is called The Craving Mind, mm-hmm. and um, I learned about him because he was interviewed by Sam Harris, mm-hmm. and uh, he has developed an app uh, uh, that is sort of in the nature of a mindfulness-based meditation app. But it's also he's he's fundamentally just a Skinnerian psychologist. Like he his belief is that uh, behavior is operant conditioning. It is trigger uh, uh, behavior reward, and that's it. And or consequence, you know, whether it's a, a positive or negative reinforcement, trigger behavior um, reward. And uh, nothing nothing to do with genetics. Uh, I don't know that he that he doesn't account for that at all. I mean, obviously the genetics would be the opportunity for. But the portion that he's focused on is is that. Yeah, the uh, I mean, I, certainly some behaviors are going to be um, uh, not learned. Right. Uh, we we are food is not the same exactly as drugs because we're we're impelled to do that uh, mm-hmm. from a more instinctual perspective. Fucking, shitting, eating, all of those things are all uh, uh, you know different. disgusting. There are all things, all, th- <laughs> all things I do in my lawn. <laughs> Check. Um, but uh, anyway, this book uh, is is a, a, a phenomenal explanation, uh, I think, of the manner in which we develop these behaviors, whether they're good or bad. And uh, so I highly recommend that. Um, I just finished a book uh, about psychedelics written by a guy named Michael Pollan called... Um, uh, how to change your mind, which has really changed my view of uh, psychology, human psychology. So, and, um, I say it changed your mind. <laughs> yeah, you might say that. It, it, in the realm of psychedelics, um, would you ever consider looking into that as a therapeutic option that doesn't cast out the fact that you're? That would not interfere with what you consider sobriety. your sobriety. Yeah, I, I would consider it. I haven't I haven't broken the the the, the wall on that yet. But mm-hmm. um, the way that the people that are doing that now at Johns Hopkins are doing it is under a very clinical circumstance. Yes, and that's why I'm asking because uh, I've followed a lot of uh, the different proponents of um, microdosing and, and different mm-hmm. the, the the effects of psychedelics on anxiety. Um, and, and PTSD yeah. and depression and yeah. et cetera. Uh, and they're, they're really making some headway on, yeah. on psilocybin and things like that. So there's no, uh, uh, and I've done all of those things numerous times and, and have personal experience knowing that there's, it's a pleasant, unpleasant experience. Mm-hmm. And so whatever, whatever, uh, uh, reward is ingrained in that, um, uh, does not tend, and this is demonstrated in the science, does not tend to create uh, recurrent conditioning. In other words, it's not addictive. Yeah, right. You, you right, don't. Right. People don't just take that shit and they're like, "I gotta have more." I gotta. I gotta yeah, have, absolutely. You're like, "I gotta have a fucking break for a minute." And yeah, so, for sure. Uh, and evidently, under the circumstances of these uh, these interventions at Johns Hopkins, um, you know, it's like eight hours intensive, relatively high dose of psilocybin, but you're there with two keepers, each one of whom is a trained 
uh, PhD psychologists uh, who are like, you got to wear headphones that are pumping this fucking music into your, and like they're trying to create the circumstances of a profound trip mm-hmm. uh, because they want that. They want you to get to that point. I always actually avoided that when I was sure, doing it of uh, 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 recreationally, uh, but they want to create this like really profound, almost overwhelming spiritual experience. Uh, because evidently the consequences of that are so uh, uh, meaningful and, uh, in terms of your cognition. Uh, and so, uh, I don't know, I'm pretty still black and white about not taking anything into my body um, that will give me a head change, and that is a decided head change. Agreed. But, um, but I'm also really uh, interested in, what, what if, what, I can't help but ask myself a question, what if there were a way that I could semi-permanently, or at least really intensely, reduce my baseline level of anxiety mm-hmm. what if i could do that so that i didn't have to i don't know train uh as much, as to, much to or whatever pacify. that also seems like a dangerous question to ask you know because uh-huh. like that just that like um searching for i don't it would seem that like searching for something to to make that go away was yeah. what got you in trouble in the first place sure. right so like searching for a more permanent answer sure for that could also lead to absolutely um something that would be dangerous a dangerous road to go down absolutely um but yeah um i get that i understand that but the maybe the i don't know yeah i don't know how to answer that how how to solve that because it's like what if there is, you know, you can't write it out. You know? um, what if this is the trip? And then when you take mushrooms, right? yeah. you're actually what if? in reality. And then you have to come back here. That's fucking deep, man. That's trippy. Just saying. Sometimes I wish I was an extremist on one side or the other, just so I could have a solid opinion on something, you know, because I feel both ways about things. Well, right. you know, I mean, I know obviously what I said was a joke about the, the difference in between reality and what is not reality. I took you seriously. Um, thank you. It's the first time in a long time you've done that. Uh, <laughs> but they said uh, there's a, I don't know what you, a mathematician out there that says that there is actually a higher probability based on the laws of probability that this is a simulation, right? Um, if you take into account the laws of probability that there is a higher probability that this is a simulation versus um, reality. Mm-hmm. So, just something to think about. Yeah, I've never been able to, to dive deep enough into um, you know the multiverse string theory shit to try right. to figure out if I can understand that. I am fascinated by the uh, the, the questions of consciousness and and um, you know how uh, all of these experiences that we're talking about right now obviously only occur on the the uh, uh, on the interface of consciousness, right? So me experiencing um, anxiety, for instance, that only occurs on a conscious level. And um, and so it it happens in this space of consciousness. And what the fuck is that? And that's one of the reasons I listen to Sam so much is because he's got some pretty, he's always got really uh, uh, insightful guests on to discuss this kind of stuff. And he's got his own opinions that are pretty interesting. But questions of free will, questions of the existence of the separate self, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. I've tried to use certain levels of when it comes to pain, like uh, the the sensation of pain, mm-hmm. true pain, like not not like the metaphorical pain or emotional pain, but actual physical pain, pain yeah. right? Physical pain. Um, in times that I've been injured, I've it, <laughs> there was I, I have the lyrics tattooed on my rib cage that that talk about um, 
the pain is only an illusion. Mm -hmm. You know, we create it. Um, and I've tried a couple of times during intense physical pain to try to see if I could find a way to distance myself and convince my body that it only hurts because I'm saying that it does. Yeah. Um, it hasn't worked. Uh, not once, but, um, I've, I've, I've been trying to do that for the past hour and a half. <laughs> my shoulder and neck hurt so bad right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's something because I, I felt like there consciously there was something there. Um, we know why we feel pain. We know what causes the sensation through the nerves and goes into the brain. Yeah. We understand that. But um, the idea of being able to convince yourself that it doesn't exist or mm -hmm. why, why is that sensation an unpleasant sensation, but other sensations on the, that are reacting to the same nerve endings considered pleasurable sensations, sure. you know, um, like tickling versus breaking an ankle. Yeah. You know? Why does our brain read those two sensations off the same nerve ending as two separate things? Yeah. Um, again, it's, I've been extremely unsuccessful. One of the one of the <laughs> so. virtues of this uh, of this uh, craving app, uh, the app is called something else. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but one of the virtues of it, and this is just a virtue of mindfulness meditation in general, is that uh, you can begin to. So this task of of becoming mindful. It's a challenging task, and uh, the, one of the principal methods that people use to uh, to become mindful or to practice mindfulness is to pay attention to their breath, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the object of attention in that particular moment. And you you're, you you're intentional about it. You say, "I'm going to be I'm going to practice mindfulness. I'm going to focus on my breath." And then, because of what the nature of the mind is, your mind's going to wander. You're going to become aware of that. All of that's unintentional. You're going to say, "Okay." I've, lost attention on my breath i'm going to return my attention to my breath etc it's fucking boring by the way it's exceedingly boring but uh, uh to, to for me anyway to have the object of attention be my breath uh physical pain on the other hand is a an excellent uh, uh object of attention mm -hmm. and so um it's very difficult to move your attention away from that uh because it's calling out to you it's an alarm bell going off and so it, uh, it's it, you can pay attention to that with great ease and so manufacturing the circumstances of physical discomfort are are, are a smart way to practice mindfulness and uh, one of the one of the interesting side effects of this is that uh, if you're in intense physical pain and I get injured fairly routinely mm -hmm. I'm an old fucker and I go hard and I fucking hurt my neck a lot uh, I, I'm not gonna tap to an arm bar until it's hyper extended you know I can create the circumstances of physical discomfort pretty quickly. And um, uh, the quality, the tone of the pain or of my subjective experience of the pain changes the harder I look at it. And so, um, and that's true down to, um, I mean, I've had surgeries uh, mm -hmm. in sobriety for which I was not given narcotics and which uh, I got to focus on this shit. And it's, it's true down to the most exquisite, uh, sharp pain, the bluntest pain, the diffuse pain, all of them, uh, are the, the, if you look at them and use them as your object of attention, they're, they're still there. Mm -hmm. They're still yelling at you. It's just that you're no longer saying these are terrible things. Instead, you're like, this is fucking exciting. Like, I can't believe how mindful I'm about to get on this shit. You know, and I know that sounds really, really cheese dick, but it, it, it's, it's, it, those are, those are blessings. That's why when they, when, when you're, sitting on a fucking cushion or whatever, they're like, just just don't try and readjust yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're sitting on a cushion to do your meditation, don't don't be doing all of your rocking and getting yourself square because um, 
That's you're you're distracted when you're doing that. You're saying you're saying you're 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 responding to something and changing the circumstances of something rather than being mindful of it. Let that shit happen. Let your back hurt. Let your posture be fucked up a little bit. Let your let, let your neck be a little bit sore. Pay attention to that. Don't don't miss that opportunity. It's a golden fucking opportunity. And uh, if you're in a, I do this now with anxiety all the time. So if I've got uh, a really contentious fucking hearing that's coming up against somebody that's just a fucking cunt, and I know I'm gonna have to go in there and just uh, absolutely eat shit sandwiches, my level of anxiety is gonna be pretty high. Um, and before uh, I began practicing meditation. That experience was a deeply unpleasant one, but now it's fucking exciting. It's it's good for me. One of the days that I get to experience uh, heightened anxiety like that, because I really get to turn my attention inward on it. And just like physical pain, it doesn't go away, but it changes the quality of it. It's no mm -hmm. longer a thing to be feared. Kind of ironically. So anyway, I really I, I can't recommend that shit enough. An interesting uh, way that I was kind of thinking about it whenever you were. In uh, you were talking earlier about how rolling you're in that moment and only focus on that is I've broken b multiple bones during MMA fights and I've broken, broken multiple bones outside of MMA fights and they feel drastically different when they happen. Yeah. Um, because like during the MMA fights, I honestly like um, one of them, I got kicked in the, I got a shin right to the nose. Like, I mean, broke my nose. And all I could think of was like, dude, this guy punches way harder than anybody I've ever felt punch. <laughs> and because I took like 18 punches after that. And then I was like, oh, shit, my nose is broken, I think. <laughs> and then like I've done shit like that on the outside. And it's immediately like, this isn't right. This isn't good, you know? Yeah. And it's because my attention is so focused on something completely else. That's right. It's really interesting to, to think about. Your brain um, knew that you'd broken your fucking nose the instant that shit happened. Yeah, yeah. But but you were in 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 la la land. I was pretty close to being knocked out at that point though. So like, <laughs> I don't know how much my brain knew what was going on. Yeah, it was like the lights, the dimmer was going down. Right, right. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, something, Mitch. Uh. -uh. Oh, okay. Sorry. You look oh. like you were going to talk about your MMA fight. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I've never had an MMA fight. Uh, is that something you th are thinking about doing? MMA? Competing? Yeah, doing I don't know. MMA? Uh, probably not. If I had to, if I had to predict it, um, I, uh, I I've put my head through the ringer already and taken. That's one of the other virtues of. of that's right. You said you had your your head injury too, yeah. so that's not something that you might take taking yeah. shots to the head, getting more concussions. I, I believe that the massive concussion that that injury represented. Uh, did have some effect on me. I, I'm not aware of what it was, but you can't have suffered that level of trauma and not yeah. have uh, some deleterious effect. Do you think maybe having a titanium forehead might be an advantage? Maybe an advantage. Yeah. You know, when I got out of uh, college, when I graduated college, I tried to join the Marine Corps. Um, it was 2004, and um, we were obviously spread out all over Hell's Half Acre with two wars, and I had a bunch of buddies that were gone, and I just wanted to go do it. And, but I knew I had this plate and um, I was an honorable person. So I told the truth when I went to the recruiter. Wrong move. I shouldn't have. In World War II, that would have been a dishonorable move. That motherfucker told me, he was like, you should have lied to me, man. Yeah, God, I yeah. told you the same thing. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Try so, to do the right thing. I know. I know. And, uh, but I went all the way through the system and worked it all the way up. I had to get, uh, I tried to get a special dispensation from the Bureau of Medicine and uh, uh, to let me through and they just wouldn't do it. And I always thought... Of all the things, like I'm not talking about fucking, I, I don't have a, 
Uh, one leg's not shorter than the other. Yeah. I don't have one nut. Like I've got fucking metal in my forehead. I can take a direct hit. Yeah, weird question. I, How bulletproof do you think I, that it I, is? I, I, <laughs> I mean, I think it'd take a glancing shot better than skull. Yeah, blade, you know, there's nothing to get purchase on. And uh, <laughs> it was a, it's a gnarly fucking thing. The whole, the whole plate, each one of the screws that screws that shit into your, into your skull was eight thousand dollars, and this was in 1993. Jesus, yeah. nailed it. So that's like uh, 8100 now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. fucking lot. And this uh, this plate, yeah, it's like they, uh, uh, you know, they, they, it's like a rough shape when they when they bring it into the room. But this these surgeons was it like the scene from um, Iron Man whenever he's making the suit in the cave? That's exactly what it that's was what like, I figured. Actually. I figured they were usually mostly they were hammers. in a cave. How'd you know? On your you head. weren't supposed Just to know about that. Tink, 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 tink. tink, tink. Yeah. I remember that sound exactly. And, Have uh, you ever seen people get hair transplants? No. Dude, it's I've one of the them, most I've fucked up things. I've seen after the fact, though. They're like, these they little... literally have like this giant spike where they're just like, kink, kink, <laughs> kink, like into the back of their fucking scalp, dude. It's so weird. Have no. you never seen that? Yes. People do that. Yeah. yeah. Joe Rogan has a big scar yeah. in the back of his no, head. No, they don't really do that anymore. No, well, not anymore. Yeah. That's something they did, though, right? Okay. That's something that happened, no, right? I don't know. I'm not saying yes to that. I'm just saying that's crazy because I've never seen that in my life. I saw it. I've seen the dudes, though, with the planted fucking yeah. Like, yeah. rows yeah. of just just be bald. I'd Come seen on. somewhere that that's that was the procedure. What? You know, going yeah. back to what we talked about earlier, and I think whenever like you and I had the discussion, I, I told you that. Um, I a lot Whatever. of people, because I was a recruiter for three years prior to getting out. Uh, off active duty and a lot of people ask questions like that you know they're like well wh why does it matter you know it's not a big deal i have this metal plate in my head or you know i have this or i have this or whatever the issue that the military has and it's a very um uh, corporate answer is that going in with a known medical condition the air force accepts the risk to pay yeah. for any complications and then they look at it and they go you know and you start having serious issues later on due to like magnetism or radar exposure or something like that well now the air force is paying for that for the rest of their lives that's right you know? that's right um and so that's a big part of it because um when i joined i didn't have didn't have any major surgeries and like that um but in your situation it would have found out you know they would have come up um some random way it would have found its way into a into a conversation maybe not in the beginning of your career but six years down the road, something would have happened that it would have come up, Yeah, you know, and then they would, and then been, I could be dishonored. And then you would have some issues to deal with. Right. Uh, and because by then that recruiter would be long gone, probably retired at that point. He's not serving, you know, any consequences to that action. Um, and recruiters always, people always say recruiters are liars. Oh, you're a liar. You're a liar. Um, yes, but we have lied. <laughs> the we, end. Hard stop. <laughs> yeah. We have lied in the face of uh, situations in order to help the individual because we understood that that military service was something that they needed. Yeah. You know. Um, but. Go ahead, Johnny. I know you've got a lot of experience with the military service. Yeah. Who's that for you to decide, though? You know, it's how, the individuals. Right. The individual coming to me. That's true. That's true. They consider I need to go find if them. they're considering. Wait, you what are you lying about? What do you explain? What you're so saying? like yeah, an example being so to get into the military. Like, like sign me up, Mitch. For an example, because there are extenuating circumstances, right? So an example would be one of the questions we used to have to ask was, "Have you ever sought counseling of any type to include with a priest or a preacher?" Right? Uh, because a priest can be considered a counselor, um, depending on the religion. Well, any sort of mental illness like that can be disqualifying. Right? Mm -hmm. um, but as a recruiter, I also know what I went through as a teenager. I know what I did as a young man. 
Um, and I know that I acted out and my parents yeah. probably uh, thought that there was something severely wrong with me or with my brothers or whatever that needed medication. Come yeah. to find out it, it was, there was nothing wrong with the individual. Uh, it was an overreactive parent or guardian or whatever. Right. Um, however, that individual is now disqualified from military service due to the action of their parents. Right? You're yeah. talking about like, you're not talking about a counseling service. Like you go, you use your insurance card, you pay for the counseling service. You're talking about they just went to a priest. Correct. And there's no record. Correct. What kind of a question is that? It's a great question because it shows. That's a horrible um, question to ask no, somebody. Well, Everybody's, it's not a good question because it, 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 it the, you cannot rely on the response in any meaningful correct. way. Correct. But the, the intent of the question is at what extent and what information were you providing to the individual, right? Um, to answer the question that was asked to me, though, why would somebody lie in a situation like that? Well, it's because I understand life happens. And so I am lying or would lie on the behalf of the individual because I understand life circumstances, sure. right? So to say that someone is a liar, right? Um, oh, I broke a bone and I had to get it repaired um, or whatever the case may be. Sure. Well, um, I know that there's no lasting effects of that, right? Uh, something of that effect. But um, Or the better example would be somebody who uh, strategically declines to disclose that they uh, uh, have sought uh, CBT therapy for, sure. for you know. Sure. Or that you were arrested as a 15-year-old uh, for shoplifting. Right. Right. Um, and you're now 21 years old with a college education right. and you made a mistake. Right. Well, technically, that's a dis that could be a disqualifying factor depending on compounding other things. Right? That's right. And so that would be an example where I go, well, it's a sealed document. You were a juvenile. No one can see it because you weren't. You know, it's, it's a sealed document. So let's keep that between the two of us. Yeah. That's an example. It's like... <clears throat> being uh it's like the difference between being the letter of the law police officer and the heart of the law yeah like uh somebody that is going to uh pull you over and or pull you over and arrest you for like a little bit of weed you know like you weren't doing anything wrong yeah. like take it away from them let them go they weren't yeah hurting anybody or whatever um as opposed to the guy that's like well, that's a great I example. Weed is so, like the best. Yeah, no, weed's a great example of this. And I'll, I had a situation that came up like this. So I had an individual, um, extremely smart. He scored off the charts on the ASVAB, uh, really applied himself. But he was in a relationship when he was in Wyoming. Um, and he thought he was doing the right thing at the time. And they got pulled over. She had weed on her. Mm -hmm. and she had marijuana. Well, she was also working on a full ride scholarship to a particular college. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. He took responsibility. He said, that's my weed. It wasn't his weed, but he knew that his life circumstances were going to never take him into a position where this would affect him. Sure. So he was protecting her. They broke up. Well, now he has marijuana charges that, you know what I mean? Like yeah. now it's how affecting him. How old is this individual? Uh, well, I don't know how old he is now. Um, at the time he was 17, I guess. So at 17, like he knew that, he, 17, that weed was never going to affect his life in any job. Well, Lizzie, I don't know. Oh, he's, yeah, he thought he was doing the right, he, the, yeah, I the thing. So the, yeah, yeah, so, but, yeah. But the point is, is that uh, at the time. If you had weed on you, I'd take the fall. Johnny would yeah. have taken the fall 12 times for a girl. Totally. If it was going to get him pussy, he would do that. And then, <laughs> right, we, we, we've, we've seen that happen, right? Oh, yeah, um, I've seen it. Witness. But then, you know, let's say later on, Johnny decides that he wants to join the military. And he allowed other people in his good nature to affect his 
the rest of his life, mm -hmm. you know. And so there has to be some objectivity when you're when it comes to being a recruiter. Yeah, and so, that makes sense. I get yeah. you. It's the problem is again. It's like I'm sure that 99% of the recruiters are trying to do the right thing. It's the one percent right. that that fuck it up. It's the or, recruiters. Though. Or even there's a lot of times yeah. you'll do something, you'll do something, and, and then a totally like fuck up, fucked up circumstance happens, and you're like, who could have ever possibly thought that that was how this all was gonna play out? You know what I'm oh, saying? Gosh, like, absolutely. I feel like that happens every time. I'm just like. Where in the hell did that come from? <laughs> in my experience, I, I I literally plan for the 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 uh, worst potential outcome because it really fucking does happen. Yeah, me. I mean, like mm -hmm. I've been very fortunate. I said at the beginning that that all the success I've had in this life has been due to luck. All the fucked up shit has been due to bad luck, though. And, right. Uh, I mean, if if there's a if there's a weird peculiar outcome that some bullshit lie that I come up with is gonna is gonna result in, that's the one that's gonna same's, fucking happen. Same. Same. Yeah. I mean, right. And it happens every time. That's that's the best thing though for me because that's it's those results that keep me on the straight and narrow. You know, if I if I felt like I could get away with it, I'd probably lie a lot more often. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Who wouldn't? Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> that's the whole reason we learn not to lie. That's right. I know because it's too easy to get away with stuff if you do. Yeah. There's a great Louis C.K. bit uh, where he's talking about when when, he, when his kids first learned to lie, and he was like, he's like, yeah, I mean, well, of, co well, of course they're gonna fucking do this. He walks in, one of them stolen a cookie out of the cookie jar and, and, and of her own, she figures out she can just deny it. Right. And, and that kid's like, what the fuck, man? I can just have cookies. And he gets to ask <laughs> me and, and I say no. And it's like, I didn't. And fuck, of course I'm going to, this power, are you kidding me? Yeah, this no, is it's incredible. And, and the kid learns from that point forward, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the truth. And I fuck, that was my experience as a kid. No, it's, you're absolutely right. And especially if you've got siblings, because... We blamed everything That's on my right. younger brother. That's right. Everything got blamed on him because he couldn't talk yet. That's right. Which also, which also made it really difficult for him to have ever done some of the things that That's we right. blamed on him. Yeah. No, I just heard somebody say "fuck" in there, and you're like, "No, it was no, him. it was." Yeah. yeah. First, he got his first word. Oh my god, it's so cute. Right. No, he did move the car out of the driveway. Yeah. He did. It was him. Yeah. I was making the I was making the comparison last night to like Conor McGregor just being a sexy bitch. And I was like, can you imagine if you, like, having the power? Would you say no if he slid into your DMs? Just imagine right now Conor McGregor slid into your DMs. I would say no. He repulses me. Really? Yeah. You better say yes. You would say yes. That money's on the... Slid. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Trying to buy a new house. Get a new car. <laughs> you, you're saying yes. <laughs> this is a team effort. <laughs> but, like, could you, oh, also, dude, could you imagine? Also, the baby mama know. that tried to come out against Connor. Yeah, they found that wasn't true, it right? Was, oh, really? The DNA yeah. test. Oh, okay. Wasn't really okay. See, I thought they took a DNA test and they found out it was true. No. Hmm. Um, but yeah, can you imagine the habits you would learn having that kind of power? You could slide into anybody's DMs. Oh, yeah. On the planet. I'd, everybody be pregnant. Even yours. Yeah. I'd be pregnant. I'd gotten myself pregnant. I would have been bored with everything else there was <laughs> out there for me to get into. Look, I'm not the one that convinced somebody to eat a fruit they weren't supposed to eat. So I'm not, I don't ever want to deal with that pregnancy stuff. I just do it. To oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. yeah. I see what you did there. Yeah. You made it religious. The, yeah. the plausibility of that story. <laughs> well, I don't, I hate to be the one to do this because it's typically not me. Yeah. It's but, usually me. Um, we're, we're like I, hour and yeah, 40 I, minutes I have in. somewhere I've got to be. Harrison, I know you, you're wanting to go out to Bruno's and get yeah. you some rounds in. Uh, and it's getting close to that time where it's going to bump you up to, to that. And then I've got to, get back to the house and, and do some dad stuff. So, um, okay. man, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, yeah. 
It was exactly everything really that insightful. I was hoping that it would be. Yep. Um, I told these guys from the day that I mentioned that I wanted to have you on the show that I've always had amazing conversations with you. You're articulate. Um, you, you use analogies to a great degree. Uh, you're really good at explaining exactly what you've been through, and that's what I wanted people to hear. Yeah. Um, not just because maybe there's someone out there that's going through the same thing, but maybe something that was said they can relate to and yeah. find a reason. You know, I get asked all the time, like, why do you do jujitsu? I have no fucking clue. Yeah. I don't. I wish I had an insightful thing to say, but I don't. Um, I just, I continue to do it because I'm kind of okay at it. Yeah. And I like being kind of okay at things. Yeah. And so, um, but outside of that, I don't have a driving reason as to why I continue to get up and put my body through the punishment. Um, year after year, day after day. I don't have an answer. So. I wake up every day and remind myself I'm going to be the kind, the most okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can. I'm the okay person. The, yeah. the okayest yeah. version of myself that I can be. I put an yeah. eye of the tiger and just <laughs> look at myself in the mirror and I say, you're okay. <laughs> you're going to, people like you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I think you're an intense person, which I respect a lot. And so yeah. uh, I'm glad you were able to come out here and give us that time. So Man, I was happy to do it and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, we appreciate it. Anything All else right. you guys want to say? I got nothing. This is episode 22. Excellent. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, that's it. Check cool. out our YouTube and Instagram and everything else that you can think of. Patreon, too. We need more content on there. We do. Eventually. We'll oh, also, uh, if anyone was wondering, um, Harrison is also the attorney that represented um, me and Johnny during our cease and assist um, from cease and desist. Cease and desist. Yeah. Um, I thought about bringing a, a, a guitar on here and we'd do a little fucking folk duo. Thing. A folk duo. There's one behind you, but it's got a broken string and it's out of tune. Yeah. So, <laughs> which our, might be good. Our attorney advised us that uh, that we're okay. I think we're going to be just I think we're fine. clear. I think we're going to be fine. I think we're going to be fine. Yeah. So. We'll be all right. All right. Let me know when you get that served. Framed. We'll, yeah. We'll yeah. Oh, I can't wait. That would oh. be so awesome. <laughs> I would I would be over the moon the whole process except for changing our name. Yeah. The yeah. whole process I'd just be stoked Th- about. That's how you oh, know yeah. you've arrived. That's what we said. Mm-hmm. We said, "Hey man, we were first time somebody's told us to stop doing this." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, we're making an impact. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We're getting somewhere. All right, peace out y'all. See ya. All right, see ya. Right now, you know, we going to love you on how we just chill. Yeah.